Who would like to run like Usain Bolt? Yeah. So I saw a gap in the market. I'm quite intuitive and quite uh, front-footed. And, you know, you, with the retirement of Usain, I thought, perfect. I'm in my prime. I'm 41 years old. I feel like I could probably step into his shoes. And so I gave him a shout the other day. And I said, hey, you know, Usain, listen, you've left a little bit of a gap in the market. Uh, I want to learn to run like you. Would you mind just coming over? And so he hopped on an airplane. And we were having coffee last week. And uh, he was sitting in my lounge. Well, actually, not to, I won't get to the coffee part. He came over and he was sitting in my lounge. And I said, hey, Usain, can I make you a cup of coffee? He said, I love coffee. So I started making it and I pulled out. Uh, we only have full fat because full fat is the only way to go with coffee. And so we pulled out the full fat milk. And he says, oh, Rich, I won't have the full fat milk. Okay, you've gone down in my books just a little bit, but that's okay. A lot of people have black coffee, right? And so I made my coffee with my full-fat milk, and I made his black coffee, and then I pulled out the rusks, because who doesn't have a rusk with coffee? And he said, oh, Rich, I'm not going to have a rusk either. I'm like, uh, okay. So we carry on talking, and I'm talking about running mechanics, and I'm talking about my physique and how I can take over from him, because I'm also quite tall and, and all of that. And about midway through our conversation, he says, hey, Rich, I... I've actually got to go and just uh, prep for training. And I'm like, we're in the middle of a conversation, bro. Like, go and train later. He goes, no, 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 I've got to train now. And it got me thinking. I'm like, I would love to be able to run like Usain Bolt. But I'm not sure that I want his lifestyle of black coffee without risks and going training to a clock. I put him on an airplane. I sent him home. I'm looking for another gap in the market. But it got me thinking about following Jesus. And many of us want a life like Jesus, but not many of us are necessarily willing to have a lifestyle like Jesus. And so we're starting a series tonight that's going to run for, I don't know how long, but a while, called The Apprentice. And now apprentice is not a word that is commonly thrown around today, but we all know what it means. It means like actually we've, we've chosen a skill or something that we want to, uh, to be able to do, and we've identified someone that has that skill. And what happens when we identify someone with that skill is we go to them and we say, I want to be with you and I want to learn from you and I want to become like you and the things that you can do so one day I can do the things that you can do. That's what an apprentice is. And Jesus' invite to us is, Come and be my disciples. Come and be my apprentices. But it means we've got to be with him. And so apprentice, apprentice does three things. An apprentice bees with the person, if that's even a way to say it. We've got to be with the person. Then we've got to become like the person. And then we've got to do the things that that person does. And so what we're going to do over these coming weeks and months is we're going to learn what it means to be with Jesus we're going to learn what it means to become like Jesus, and we're going to learn what it means to do the things that Jesus did. Is that okay? Who cares about sprinting and running at 9.56 or whatever it is, uh, 100 meters? This is what our story is, and this is what we want to do. I do want to say that this series has been based upon a dear, somebody who's become a dear friend to me called John Mark Comer, and so I do want to just say up front that the next couple of weeks, 
A lot of this content is from a man called John Mark Comer. And so I'm not going to say every single time it's a John Mark Comer thought. I'm just saying the series is based upon him. Is that all right? And, uh, and so there are quotes. I'll obviously reference him during quotes and things like that. But uh, I'm so thankful to a man who's been able to inspire me and teach me what it means to live like Jesus. And that's the journey we're going on. So we're going to turn to John chapter 1, verse 35. John chapter 1, verse 35. If you're taking notes, it's always helpful to take notes because we get to reflect post tonight. You know, like when you watch a movie a second time or third time, you pick up things that you didn't pick up the first time. It's helpful to take notes. That's why the scriptures are in print, so we can read it again and read it again and read it again. John chapter 1, 35 to 49 says this, The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus, that's John the Baptist. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Can you imagine how secure John the Baptist had to be? He's got two guys following him, and he's teaching them. They're his disciples, and then he says, hey, look, there's Jesus. And they go, thanks, John, we're out of here. Off to Jesus. Some of us are more interested in people following us on Instagram and Facebook than we are in leading them to Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? I think tonight, Jesus would ask us, what do you want? What do you want? Do you want to be saved and escape as one through the flames as we read last week? Or do you want life and life to the full that Jesus has come to offer us and give us? What do you want? Jesus turns to the disciples and they say this, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? I love his response. Come, he replied, and you will see. This is the invite of Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, I live 13 Brookdale Crescent. Find your way there. He doesn't actually give them a destination. What he says is, come, come and see, come and follow me. And we'll go on this journey together. And we'll find where I am staying and the invite to us as we start this series, The Apprentice, I believe Jesus is saying, what do you want? Come and see. He's not giving us a, uh, an address which we believe to be heaven one day or life to the full one day and we're looking for the 10 steps on Google Maps on how to get there. He's saying, just come and follow me. Come and see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Let's drop down to verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave, decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Well, come and see, said Philip. I love his response. Jesus said to Philip, come and see. And Philip immediately responds, well, come and see. When we are with Jesus, we use the same language as Jesus. We start to behave like Jesus. We already start to see that here. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Well, Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus says, come and see. Philip says, come and see. I have found the one. I stand up today and say, come and see. Jesus would say, 
come and see. How do we come and see? We don't live in early, uh, in early AD in Israel. None of us live there. None of us have been teleported there recently. Jesus doesn't live here because he's at the right hand of the Father. So how can we come and see? How can we be with Jesus? We're going to see what Jesus has to say. John chapter 14, verse 16 to 27. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Now, that's been translated advocate in English, but it's just because English doesn't really capture the nuance or have an exact word. And so they try, depending on the translation, to capture the essence of it. But uh, the essence can be better described as another like me or another one of me. And so let me reread it with that in the language. And I, Jesus, will ask the Father, and he will give you another one of me to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Let's drop down to verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, or but the one, another one of me, but the other one of me, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Who desires peace? Who desires peace? Of course we do. Make an assumption. We all desire peace. So this is what Jesus says. We want to be apprentices. He says, come and see. How do we come and see? Because we're not with Jesus in Israel. He's not with us now because he's at the right hand of the Father. So Jesus says, I'm giving you another one of me. And so what Jesus says is, when we are with the Spirit of God, we are with Jesus. That's what Jesus teaches. So how do we be with Jesus? We be with the Spirit of God. We're going to carry on and understand what all of this means. And so John Mark Comer says this, The first and primary goal of apprenticeship to Jesus is learning to live in a constant state of awareness of and connection to the Holy Spirit. What we're going to do tonight is we're going to grapple with a little bit of the why. Why why should we be with Jesus? And then we're going to get to the how because I'm aware that there are some people like me sitting in front of me who are A-type personalities. We're just like, Rich, what do we have to do? I just want to get out of here and I want to do something. We're going to get there. But we have to understand the why. Otherwise, we've got no conviction to base it upon. So the baseline of all things following Jesus is that we would be in relationship with the Spirit of God. There is no 10-step formula. So many of us, how do we follow Jesus? Well, follow these 10 steps. Follow this. No, Jesus does not give us address. He does not give us Google Maps to say, well, turn left here, turn right there. Turn. He just says, come and see, come and walk with me. How do we be with Jesus? We walk with him. There is no 10-step formula that we follow. John chapter 15, 1 to 8 says this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. We're starting to get Jesus 
talking about remaining a lot. Some translations say abide, same thing. We've got to remain in him. So we're starting to get a clue that to be an apprentice, to follow Jesus, he doesn't give us 10 steps. He says, come and be with me. Well, how do we be with Jesus? By being connected to the Spirit of God. How do we be connected with the Spirit of God? We remain in him. We're going on this journey. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Imagine us standing up before Jesus one day when he returns or when we go to be with him. And he says, what did you do? And you say, I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this. And he goes, but none of that was by abiding in me or remaining in me. It all counts for nothing. Sometimes I think we need to take stock of how much of our lives, how much of our lives have been built around nothing. And how much has been built around remaining in him. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We've read that text. Ask of me whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And we we wonder because how many of us put up prayers before God, our presentations before God. We're saying, God, would you do this, do this, And, and it hasn't happened. My experience probably your experience, but this says, if you remain in me, whatever you wish, it will be done for you. And so we're starting to get this thing of, actually, maybe some things aren't being done for us by God because we're not remaining in him. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. There's eight verses here, and ten times Jesus says you have to remain in me. I don't think he can make it more clear. Remain in Him. What does this mean? It means eating your breakfast and in the Father's presence. On your morning commute to work and in the Father's presence. Doing email and in the Father's presence. Doing kids lifts and in the Father's presence. The scriptures use different language and people have used different language to capture the same essence. Jesus would say abiding. Paul, the Apostle Paul says, praying without ceasing. Maybe some of you have come across that scripture. He says, praying without ceasing. And you kind of say, I've got work to do. How can I pray without ceasing? This is what he's talking about. Remaining in the Spirit of God. That there's this constant communion. I can be doing my emails and with God. I can be cooking dinner and with God. I can be doing kids' lifts and with God. Praying without ceasing. Our Catholic friends call it contemplation. And there's Brother Lawrence, who some of you may have heard of. He was a 15th century Parisian monk. And he called it practicing the presence of God. Practicing the presence of God. Now, now Brother Lawrence um, used to write to his friends in those days. And after he died, those writings were so profound to his friends that they put a collection together. And they, it's called, a, it's, it's kind of, I suppose they call it a book, but it's really short and it will take you, it's a collection of the letters. And it's called Practicing the Presence of God. And I want to encourage you. Get onto Google, whatever you do, wherever you buy your books. I hope you buy some books. And uh, Brother Lawrence, practicing the presence of God, it will transform you. It will help you be transformed. But this is what he says. The time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. 
and in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees before the blessed, blessed sacrament. Okay, I'm just going to help us because that's 15th century language. For Catholic monks, 6 a.m. was communion time, blessed sacrament. And that was the pinnacle of their day. It was like their anthem summit, their mountaintop. I'm asking for Friday night, Saturday. They did it 6 a.m. every day. That was the pinnacle. And Brother Lawrence comes into this position of saying, no, no, why must I only be able to be with God at 6 a.m.? He was on kitchen duty, and he would have several monks shouting at him, saying, hey, Brother Lawrence, I need more potato soup or whatever it is that they would eat in the 15th century. And he would say, I can possess God in tranquility, no matter if several people are shouting at me in my kitchen or whether I'm having my communion moment with Jesus. I want that. I want that. I'm sure you do too. Dallas Willard is a man that uh, has done so much for the Christian world in understanding the soul and faith. And he says this, The first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part is the practicing the presence of God. Our part in this practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to Him. That's why good habits, coming to church on a Sunday, praying together, fasting, scripture reading, these things, they help us direct and redirect our minds constantly to God. In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. Who sometimes gets overwhelmed with things that is less than God? I know I do. When my attention's been taken off off of Him, sometimes I get caught up. I'm too busy. Oh, I've got to do another kid's lift. Oh, Oh, woe is me. I just need to put my feet up. And then I remember God as I redirect my mind back. And I remember that things less than God have somehow intruded into my presence with God. We may be challenged by our burdensome habits on dwelling on things less than God, but these are habits. They are not the law of gravity. They can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps toward keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to north, If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward being. What he's trying to say is we have to intentionally live in this constant state of communion with the Spirit of God. Because by the Spirit of God, we can be with Jesus. And when we are with Jesus, we can become like him and fully human and fully alive. So Dallas Willard talks about these practices. Some of us may call them spiritual disciplines. But uh, I want to try and reframe that a little bit for us and, and change spiritual disciplines to habits because spiritual disciplines, we tend to think of just our spirit. But actually, God is interested in our whole, the whole of us. So when we come to pray, we bring our bodies into that. When we fast, we certainly bring our bodies into it. It's not just a spiritual discipline. It's a habit of practicing the presence of God. And so we want to do that. And, uh, and these practices are not the end in themselves. We don't read the Bible to read the Bible. We read the Bible to know Jesus. We don't pray to tick the box of, I prayed. 
We pray to be present with God. What these habits do is they kind of say, God, you're here. I've been distracted by my smartphone, by Netflix, by the number of lifts I've had to do, by my work, by my emails. I'm distracted. I haven't been here with you, but now I've got these habits built into my life, and I'm coming to be present with you. And so it reminds us, it's a redirection of our attention to be with Jesus by His Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, 13 to 25 says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. In the words of John Marcoma, if only God could have said that because the Old Testament would have been a whole lot shorter and a whole lot easier to understand if the whole law is summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, each other so, that you do, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. You'll notice here, Paul does not say, go and be more loving, more joyful, more kind. We are not able to be more of those things. We can't do that. That's dependent upon willpower, and if you are anything like me, after our 7.15 trip in early morning traffic, my willpower is kaput. It's done. And so if you want me to be more loving to you, you have to phone me before I hit the traffic at 7.15, and that is not an open invite to phone me before 7.15. We cannot be more of these things by trying to be more of these things. Paul says, no, it's a, it's a fruit so he uses this. How does an apple tree produce an apple? So simple. The branch doesn't try to produce an apple. The branch stays connected and it remains in the trunk and out pops an apple. A vineyard produces grapes because the branches are remaining in the vine. A human produces love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, joy, self-control, not by trying to produce those things, but by remaining in the Spirit. When we remain, these things trans become who we are, and we are transformed into these things. That's our desire, surely. And so as we be with the Spirit of God, so we be with Jesus, and we can become like Him and do the things that He does. So here's the big question. How do we do this? We understand why. We get the Scriptures. We get what Jesus has taught us. We get that we need to remain in the Spirit of God for fruitfulness and life. We get that. How do we do it? It's not easy, but it is simple. It's not easy, but it is simple. 
a quote from John Mark Comer, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. If you want to run like Usain Bolt, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Usain Bolt. I cannot run 9.56 by drinking my full fat, rusk dipping coffee. I have to adopt the lifestyle. If I want joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control to be who I am as I remain in Christ, I have to adopt the lifestyle of Christ. Here's the challenge. It is simple but not easy. Many of us want the byproduct of the life of Jesus, which is a life of peace. But not many of us are willing to rearrange our lifestyles to allow the Spirit of God to transform us so that we may walk in peace. Jesus has called us to life and life to the full. And what I love is Jesus is one of Jesus' main callings as he lived on the earth was to model what human flourishing looks like. And too quickly we can default and just say, oh, but he was God. It's like, yes, he was God, but he was also Jesus of Nazareth, fully human, walking in the same shoes that we walked. He modeled what it meant to, what it meant to be remaining in the Spirit of God and therefore in communion with the Father. And so he modeled fully as a human what human life can look like. And that invitation is to us, come and see. Come and be my apprentice. Jesus doesn't set us up for failure. He says, you can be like this. You can be like me. And you can do the things that I've been doing. And Jesus even says, and you can do even greater things. To use business language, your system or your lifestyle is perfectly designed to give you the results that you are currently getting. So when we do an assessment of the fruit of our lives, the way you are living is perfect currently is, is perfectly designed for the fruit that you are producing. Therefore, if you want different fruit to be produced or greater fruit to be produced, you have to change your lifestyle. In the words of Albert Einstein, only a madman expects a different outcome by doing the same things. We have to change our lifestyle. The Gospels teach us how Jesus lived. We see many things. Jesus was never in a rush. Who feels like they live in a rush? You don't have to answer that. Many of us do. I do. Jesus was never in a rush. He spent a lot of time in community. He also spent a lot of time alone. He got up early and he processed his emotions. May I just throw this out? Sometimes, so my feeling, music is beautiful. I think it's the creativity of heaven coming through and we are able to do it. But sometimes our default is to walk into the home, put music on, and it fills our mind space that we're not able to take time to process things. He spent a lot of time sleeping. The gospels say the disciples had to wake him up a lot. Wake him up in a storm. Wake him up here. Wake him up there. He slept a lot. A man at peace can sleep deeply at all hours of the day. He would Sabbath, which means to rest and to worship. He was at the synagogue every single week. He lived simply, just the clothes on his back, not buying and selling, not shopping, not online shopping. He lived simply. 
if we want a life of peace, it is simple. It's not easy, but it is simple. It is to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. If we want to run like Usain Bolt, we have to adopt the lifestyle of Usain Bolt. So often we throw out this, I believe in Jesus, I go to church, I pray, but I feel all stressed out. Maybe this is a part, because we live in the 21st century of smartphones, of a digital connectivity urban age. That has great blessings and great curses. A recent study said this, the average person, who's above average here? Ah, you see, you don't know what I'm setting you up for. Who's above average? All of the rest of you, you're reserving the right to give an answer a bit later. The average user touches their screen 2,617 times a day over 77 sessions. So over 77 pickups of the phone a day. We touch the screen 2,617 times for a total of 277 minutes a day. I'll quickly do the math for you. That's four and a half hours on your phone. And because we are all beautiful people and we love to be above average, I'm going to say, let's just be average for this. We wonder, we, we're touching 2,617 times a day over 77 pickups of your phone. And we go, God, why are we stressed out? Why is there anxiety? Why is there not peace? I'm praying. I'm going to church. I'm doing all of these things that you tell me to do. Because Jesus says, come with me. We're not trying to fill 10 laws here. Come with me. And if you come with me, you will know that I take naps in the day. And if you come with me, you will know that there is time where I disconnect from everybody. And there's time where I am present, eating and drinking with my friends. A quote from Dallas Willard. The general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time, not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. I want to read that again because it is profound. The general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time, not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. This is the feature of human character that explains why the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it a reality. See, the problem is not that we don't want peace. The problem is we're not prepared to rearrange our lives in order to live a lifestyle that leads to peace. When Jesus says, I've come and you can have peace, and my peace I give to you, it's not a transactional thing. He's not kind of saying, I am so sorry for the rubbish lives you lead. I'm just going to give you peace. He's saying, no, 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 follow me, and your lifestyle will lead to peace. So I close with this because we need to close with some practical, what do we do? What do we do? And so there's a long-term thing and a short-term thing. And the long-term thing, we're going to do together. And it's going to take time. This is not, again, I'm an A-type personality. So I'm like, hey, Monday morning, I'm doing this thing. I've got it covered. No, this is three to five years. And it actually then translates into a lifestyle of following Jesus. So we're going to do this together over a long time, and we're going to help each other. And this series is to try and position that and help give us the tools to start implementing things in our lives, and that's what we're going to do. And so long term, long term, this is what we're going to do, and this is what I'm encouraging you to do, and I think it's what Jesus invites us into to come and see. Simplify your life down to what really 
matters. Slowly cut out all the extra unnecessary activities and gradually add in the practices of Jesus. So what that means is it's not, I know that watching Netflix at 10.30 at night is not helpful for me. I know that. And I know this, and I know that, and I know that. And it's not like, okay, tomorrow morning we just cut everything. No, our lives will fall apart. The introduction, what Jesus is kind of saying to us is, okay, let's slowly do this. Let's cut out one thing and develop a new habit. And then we'll cut out another thing and we'll develop a habit. And then three years from now, we'll be able to look back and say, wow, look how far I've come. I've been with Jesus and I'm becoming like him. And very soon I'll be able to do the things that he did. That's the journey, the long-term journey we're going to go on as apprentices of Jesus. We're going to slowly cut out the extra unnecessary activities, and we're going to gradually add in the practices of Jesus. So what are some of these core practices? We're going to look at these things, but I'm just, I'll throw it out there because I know some of you want to take them and run with it. Jesus had a core practice of Sabbath, which meant rest and worship, and in the synagogue, Sunday church. That was a practice. It was a lifestyle of his. It wasn't if I can make it or if I can't make it. He understood the lifestyle which led to peace, being in the presence of the people of God with the people of God. Community, having meals in each other's homes. He understood that. Prayer, scripture reading. It's why last week I said, can we just read the scriptures every day this week, whether it's one sentence. Let's start practicing a new habit, developing a new habit. Scripture reading, fasting, oh, how we hate fasting, silence and solitude. If we want the life of Jesus, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, then we have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Otherwise, we're never going to get there. It's going to take us some time. And then lastly, short term, what can we do this week? What can we do this week? My encouragement to you is this. Take 10 minutes a day. Because we're all average here, I'm sure out of the 277 minutes we spend on our smartphones, we can find 10 minutes to just have silence and solitude. Rich, why have you chosen that one? Why, why silence and solitude? Well, I believe in this urban, digital-connected age, the noise and the busyness really disturbs. It attacks our, it attacks our soul. And therefore, just having 10 minutes, not to pray, not to read the Bible, not to do all, you, you must do all of that stuff, not in these 10 minutes. Just sit. Practice silence. Practice solitude. And just allow the clutter of your mind just to unclutter a little bit. For some that have never done this, you will feel really uncomfortable at about the 42nd mark. You'll be like, I hate being alone with my thoughts but we're going to develop a habit of silence and solitude to unclutter ourselves, just practically. So I, I, I want to try and be helpful. This is what I do, and, and I get that not all of your routines will look the same because not all of you love coffee like I do. I have the privilege of having a great coffee machine at home. I will get up before the rest of my family get up. I'll go and turn on the coffee machine. It takes about five minutes to get up to speed, but I'll normally let it just sit to really get up to great temperature and pressure. And so I'll just sit for 10 minutes on my couch. In the morning, my house is quiet, no one's awake, I'll open the curtains, I'm very grateful to God, I have a home to live in, I get that not everyone has that experience, and so you will find what you can be grateful to God for, but I will sit there and I'll say, thank you God for my home, thank you for my kids who are asleep, thank you for my wife, just thank you, I just, 
Silence and solitude leads to gratitude. Just a moment. Make coffee, take it through to Jack's, and we're able to start our day, and whether it be prayer or whether it be getting the kids ready, whatever it may be. You find your practice. Ten minutes this week, each day. See if you can do that. Silence and solitude, and just be. Just be. Practicing the lifestyle of Jesus. There is a life that is waiting for you, and in Jesus' words, it is life to the full. I want that. I don't want to just be saved. I don't want to just believe in Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want life to the full. And Jesus says to us tonight, come and see. Come and see. Come and be with me. Can we stand together? Thank you.